This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield's retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're looking to the skies on today's show. When it comes to birds, you can split them up into so many categories. There are birds of prey, migrating birds, non-migrating birds, and even birds that don't fly. And, of course, cavity-nesting birds as well. We're going to talk about the birds that you'll see this fall in and around Mississippi with our friend biologist Joe McGee. He'll also give you some tips on how you might want to attract these birds to your home. Dr. Major here, uh, Dr. Major is here ready to take some pet questions as well. So to join the conversation, it's a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to have uh, Joe back on the show. Last time you were here, Joe, we were talking about uh, frogs and actually got a couple of pictures. And I think we were finally able to identify uh, what people were seeing. And just to encourage folks that if you're listening and uh, you're out and about with your smartphone and you see something that either you'd just like to share with us or you need to try to help uh, figure out what it is, Always send us a picture. Uh, Libby's it will help us out here, and uh, she has some uh, contacts as well. So we'll we'll track it down and f- see if we can figure out what what you've captured on your smartphone. Uh, so Libby, what uh, what events do you have to share with us? Let's see. Here in Jackson area, park after dark, and um, what do they say? The science about the scary stuff at the <laughs> Natural Science Museum and at the Children's Museum. So that's this coming Friday, five thirty to eight thirty, and. Another chance to wear Halloween costumes and have some fun. And there is candy along the way. I guess there has to be down there at Halloween. <laughs> and then Saturday, uh, October the 26th, a uh, Ship Island birding trip down on the coast. Uh, MississippiCoastAudubon.org will give you more information. And they've got field trips all the time. And I want to encourage people, this is, to me, this is the best time of year to be outside. There may be some rain the next couple of days, but it'll clear up, and this is just perfect time to be outdoors. And remember your state parks, wildlife um, areas, and um, even we've got national parks in the state, so get outside and enjoy yourself. That's right. You know, we suffered so much through the summer with that brutally hot weather, and it eventually in Mississippi even gets to where I think most people would consider to be cold weather. So when we have this cool snap, you're right, it's a great time to get out. I know that uh, a friend and I played tennis last Sunday morning. And uh, I still sweat a lot just because I'm, you know, puffing and puffing out there. But uh, it was certainly wonderful weather. So let's take advantage of it while we have it. Uh, Dr. Major, Halloween is coming up. And as Libby mentioned, you know, Halloween equals candy. Uh, What are some reminders about candy and pets? Well, well, they like to be into whatever we're doing. And uh, (laughs) if you leave it out, somebody's going to get into it, you know, even just to play with the wrappers. But usually it's to eat it. Uh, be very careful with uh, too much uh, sugar, for one thing, just as with our kids. Uh, but chocolate is always an issue. And one of the things that we see a lot of times with the milk chocolate, maybe not the true uh, chocolate toxicity, but pancreatitis because of the fatty content of some of this. And we have seen dogs who just eat the whole pound or two of uh 
Hershey's mm-hmm. Kisses or mm-hmm. whatever you might have out, and they can get quite sick from that. The cats are a little bit smarter in general. Uh, however, they may play with the wrapper and then eat it. So, you know, you have some issues. But keep your uh, trick-or-treat type food up where the animals can't get to it. And, uh, you know, usually it's not a, a big issue this time of year, but it can be. And I would suggest that if you're going to subject your pet to being dressed up for Halloween, like a lot of folks like to do, that you buy an appropriate pet treat and have that, let them have that. And so the humans can enjoy the candy and the pets can enjoy a dog and cat treats. That might be a, a fair way for everybody to celebrate. Uh, here's something in the news. A 190-pound Mastiff named Floyd needed several helping hands Sunday after becoming exhausted on a hike in Utah, requiring a rescue team to carry him down the mountain. Floyd, his owner, and another human members of the family had hiked up the mountain but took a wrong turn on the way back. It was when the family turned and attempted to go back to where they had made the wrong turn that the dog plopped down and refused to budge. He was exhausted. Uh, any thoughts on that one, Dr. Major? <laughs> well, a couple of things. I saw, the, saw them carrying the dog down on a stretcher or a litter, and uh, he probably weighed 180 pounds, give or take. I, I didn't see what the weight was. I'd say... In my opinion, it was poor judgment to take that size dog on a mountain-type hike. Uh, I don't know if that was the first time or he had been doing this before, but he looked pretty dang heavy. Uh, and I'm not sure if the wrong turn had anything to do with it. The dog may have said, hey, you guys don't know where you're going, so I'm going to just wait <laughs> and see. I don't know if sometimes they're smarter than we give them credit for. But uh, it was, you know, uh, we were just talking a while ago, you know, if you're going to go hiking with a dog, it might be wise to take a dog that you can carry out if you have to. That's, uh, <laughs> that's just a judgment call. <laughs> but I think you're right. It sounds to me like uh, they, they, were, they were getting lost and the dogs just decided, you know, let's not make this any worse. I'm just going to stay right here and we'll figure out what to do. Well, it did, it did tie up resources, say, if, uh, you know, a person had fallen and been mm-hmm. injured. Uh, certainly it could have uh, been more of a complicated thing than we might have suspect. Well, you know, and another thing I'll say, and this applies to hiking of any kind, that for folks that don't do a lot, I know I like to take walks on the beach when I go down to visit my brother. But you always have to remember that when you go on a walk or a hike or something, you got to come back. So don't walk too far because you're always <laughs> going to remember that you've got to turn around and head back to where you started from. So, And, and with a dog, that may be the same thing is, you know, realize uh, that the, you're only halfway there when you get to the point that you want to turn around and come back home. It's not unusual for somebody to say, especially some of the older dogs, this dog looks like it was fairly young, but a lot of times the people will be walking several blocks and the dog decides, hey, I'm not going any further. So you have to pick it up and uh, take it home. But I would say that uh, a small dog is much better for that than one that weighs 100 weighs more than you do. <laughs> you know, dehydration, I think, could play into that, exactly. too, couldn't it? I think people sometimes forget to give their pet a drink of water when they take a drink of water. It certainly could. And that's another thing I've seen, too, If if for avid hikers, there is a little kind of dog bowl type thing uh, to bring along as well. And that's a good, good point to remember that uh, your pets need hydration just as much as we humans do if you're taking them out and having fun and exercising. We've got a pet call on the line. So let's say good morning to Stephanie, who is in Gulfport. Stephanie, you're on the air with us. So go ahead, please. Yes. Thanks again for taking my call. Um, I'll try to keep it real quick. I have a two cat. Um, the female has been fixed. The male, um, I'm hoping to get him fixed real soon. He is a little bigger than her. But um, my question is, is there any, you know, um, 
threat to her, you know, because he tries to mess with her. She holds her own. She'll swat at him, and he'll usually back down pretty good. If he gets real crazy, I separate them. But, you know, they're together when I'm at work, usually. Is there any... Can she get harmed in any way, like um, even though she's been fixed, maybe a tubal pregnancy? I don't know about these things. Okay, normally when uh, we uh, spay or neuter a female cat, uh, the uterus and the ovaries are removed. So she, there's no way that she could, you know, get pregnant. Uh, I would suggest, though, that as soon as you can get this uh, boy cat into the vet and have him neutered, I think that would be wise. And it should cut down on this uh, behavior that you're seeing. Uh, but no, she she would not be able to get pregnant. Uh, okay, and you know, are there instances where if the male gets too rowdy, he harms the female? Gosh, that's a good question, and I feel like that there is a possibility that that could be. And uh, I, if the behavior is that aggressive, I would definitely get him in yesterday and have him fixed. Okay, I think it would yes, be wise. Sir. Okay. All right, uh, Stephanie, we appreciate your call this morning. It is time for our first break. When we get back, we'll begin our discussion with our guest, Joe McGee, where you're talking about the type of birds you see in the fall in Mississippi. And Dr. Major here is ready for some pet questions. If you'd like to join the conversation, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest today is biologist Joe McGee. We're going to be talking about fall birds and also taking your pet questions. So join our conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show. Just send it to animals at mpbonline.org. In the first uh, part of the show, we mentioned folks sending photographs in, and I think it was last week that we were talking about the alligator snapping turtle. Uh, well, one of our listeners sent in a picture, of, and Libby, you're thinking this is just a common snapping turtle. Uh, but yeah, I hate to say just, though, because they're, they're, yeah, they're the ones that really might bite you. They've got that long neck, yeah. and they they come on land more often, so you encounter them more. And they, they do have a almost deceptively long neck, so you've got to be very careful when you pick them up. And it's interesting because we were commenting the photo that we have. Someone apparently is holding it up by the tail and letting it kind of dangle, so they are trying to be safe about that. But And I guess my point was this thing looks kind of... Mm-hmm scary enough and then um you know think that the alligator snapping turtle is even larger than that and then also in the picture clearly shows the um the claws on their their legs yeah i've always been told not to pick them up by their tail any kind of a turtle that that can do some pretty serious damage of course if you're getting them off the road if you have to drag them a little bit by their tail i've been told might be all right but leaving them on the ground yeah but don't don't pick them up in the air all right, uh, our friend Kathleen from Osaka is on the line. Good morning, Kathleen. What do you have for us? Uh, two comments on cats. Um, one, uh, I got BB about four years ago, as well everybody knows. He was so beat up 
when I did let him in, I did not ha- know how he would react with the cats, the other girls. So I went ahead on a, because I couldn't get him fixed because he was so injured right away. And I got uh, the advice of some vet that here, and I did get the pheromones. And I kept him, like, in a laundry room. He had everything private, sweet, litter box, food, whatever, <laughs> private maid service. But um, he worked, it worked out fine for him. And I never had a problem with it after. So that may help in the meantime. But uh, for Dr. Troy, I have a question. Uh, BB's got like um, a, a bleeding and an irritation on around his gums. None of the other cats have it. So it's unique to him. So I don't know how it got there or what it is. And he's not too cooperative. You know, about opening his mouth. Okay, is it just in one place in his mouth, or is it in more than one you know, one place that you can well, see? Well, on the left side, lower jaw, that I could see. Okay. Well, you had to be a strategic military mission to sure. get a view of that. Well, as long as, long as there's no uh, tumor or growth there, it may be that he has an abscess tooth or a tooth that's not... Uh, not functional. Occasionally, cats will have some granulation tissue in their mouth toward the back, and sometimes when they chew or bite, they will bite down on that, and it will bleed. Uh, he's acting fine any other than that, right? Well, he was awfully lethargic, but that okay. was the heat. He's kind of picking okay. up a little speed okay. now. I don't think he did a thing all but summer. If you can, look at his mouth a little bit closer. Uh, I don't know if you can without getting in trouble. But uh, look a little bit closer, see if there's anything uh, enlarged there, or if you can judge that, that tooth is possibly uh, giving him a problem. Okay, okay. Doc. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Kathleen, for your call. We've got some open phone lines on Creature Comforts. If you want to join our conversation, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. As usual, Dr. Major's here ready for your pet questions. And today we're visiting with our friend, biologist Joe McGee, talking about some of the birds that you might see in Mississippi this time of year. First, Joe, again, thanks for being with us. Always enjoy having you on the show with us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So, uh, you know, we talked at the beginning of the show. Some birds are here year-round. Some are visitors throughout the year. So if you would start a discussion by talking about some of the birds that we might see sort of working their way through Mississippi this time of year. Yes. uh, I took a walk by uh, a local pond, local to me, over in East Mississippi uh, last Friday. And I was surprised to see flying over the pond uh, a barn swallow. Now, barn swallows are common birds, but by and large, they mostly, have mostly left now, mostly left North America. But there's still a few trickling through. Saw a bar- barn swallow. Saw a couple or three tree swallows. That's, that's always a good one to see. And I saw three or four chimney swifts. And once again, like the barn swallows, they, for the most part, have departed, but there were a few still trickling through. Probably can see a few chimney swifts and barn swallows until the end of the month. Uh, I'm not seeing any hummingbirds at my feeder now, but, you know, I may get home today, and there could be one buzzing around, still a few of those. The chimney swifts, I wonder if, if any of you heard the sad story about the chimney swifts in North Carolina hitting the... Oh, about, that's right, the uh, NASCAR Museum. Mm-hmm. About yeah. 300 were f- recovered. Some already dead. Some, they're trying to rehabilitate some of them. That's really a task, to rehabilitate chimney swifts, you know, an insect-eating bird. That's almost all they eat are insects. But anyway, that was kind of sad. I really like the chimney swifts, and I admire them. They go all the way to Peru for the winter. 
But also at that pond, I saw uh, three Wilson snipe. There's a bird now. They winter in Mississippi, but they're not here in the summer, so you know the wintertime birds are beginning to arrive. That's a shorebird. It's similar to, if, if you're not familiar with that, it's similar to a sandpiper, or it's, it is a sandpiper type of bird. They walk around on mud flats and have a long bill and probe the mud for stuff to eat. Uh, let's see. Oh, house wrens. I've got house wrens around in my yard. That's a bird. They're not here in the summertime. It's a little draft. It's the epitome of the LBJ, the little brown job. <laughs> uh, they're just uniformly brown all over. Hard to see, but they're pretty vocal. I heard the scolding. I knew this was something different, and I was able to tease it, tease uh, at least one out. Last winter, I had, I don't know, two or three that spent the entire winter at my place. So that's that's something new. Uh, that'll be around. I saw yellow rumped warblers at the pond and also yellow rumped warblers in my yard. That's one. That's probably the easiest warbler to see in Mississippi because they're out in the open a lot. And uh, they're back. Yellow-bellied sapsuckers are back. That's our only truly migratory woodpecker. Uh, So, yeah, lots going on. Lots uh, of the fall and winter birds moving in. We were probably past the peak of fall migration for the summer, you know, the summer, the birds that are summer residents in North America. But there's there's still some of those trickling through. Have you seen any kinglets yet? I have not. I think I checked on eBird last uh-huh. night to see what other people were seeing, and some some folks up in the northern part of the state are seeing ruby crown kinglets. Uh, that's a tiny little bird, probably smaller than a chickadee. Beautiful little thing. Mm-hmm. And the ruby crown kinglet. I have not seen one or heard one uh, this fall yet, but it, any day now they'll show up. With this rain coming in, a front apparently moving in, or some kind of storm system, that will bring a change in the bird, uh, uh, the composition of birds that you find around your place. So uh, when we talk about some of these visiting birds that aren't here year-round, some of them are migrating through while others will stay here for the wintertime? Yes, like the kinglets. They, they winter in the, in the southeastern United States. Uh, whereas, uh, say, uh, there's a little bird called a black-throated green warbler, and I'm not seeing as many of those as I used to. It breeds across northern Canada and the, uh, the northern part of, say, New York, Minnesota, Maine, Vermont, those states, and they pass through uh, some years in, in large numbers. I haven't seen one this fall, but that's strictly a transitory bird. Once the really, once the really cold weather arrives, they'll all be out of here somewhere in the tropics. Also, just a personal thought here. I I feel embarrassed for the re- yellow rumped warbler. That just sounds like that's you know. Okay, so I've got a yellow bud. Let's not make fun of and it. And if yeah. that's not bad enough, they do have a nickname. <laughs> They're called butter butts. <laughs> yeah. it's, there's something interesting about, and this doesn't help whether or not you see one. But the taxonomy of that bird may change again. Years ago, in the east, there was a bird called a myrtle warbler, and in the west, its equivalent was the Audubon's warbler. And somebody did a study, and, and they noted they found that they interbreed where their ranges overlap, so they were lumped into the yellow rumped warbler species. So but Myrtle became <laughs> Myrtle. Yellow became yellow That's the last thing Myrtle would want to be called. But it's the, brightest, it's the brightest. It's the brightest field mark on them. If you can see it now, if they're up overhead, you don't see that. But uh, when they they frequently perch at eye level. And they perch out in the open on willows and alders and even fences and birch trees. And they fly, they fly catch. They fly out and catch small insects in the air and come back to where they were. So they're fairly easy to observe. Kind of drab this time of year, though, except for that in, bright, <laughs> bright butter butt. Yeah. 
My other thought would be on the opposite way. It's like, well, if you're going to call me a yellow rump warbler, I'm going to round shaking my tail feathers around. <laughs> We've got a caller on the line, so let's uh, invite Chris from Gluckstadt into the program this morning. Chris, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, I really enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, I have two things. First, um, a friend of mine on Twitter who lives in Little Rock, Arkansas, posted a picture of a tarantula on his porch. I had no idea there were tarantulas in Arkansas, so I'm, I'm kind of terrified of how close <laughs> we are. Thank goodness for the Mississippi River. Um, <laughs> the, the tarantulas don't swim. Um, but my, my, my real question is, my dog um, has had a real serious problem with Giardia um, over this summer, and so we treated her, you know, at, at our vet's office um, with multiple rounds of uh, metronidazole and maybe some other medication, and she finally cleared it. But is there something with Giardia that it just pops up? I mean, she's, she's not in the water. We don't have geese around. Um, the vet mentioned that it could be on the dew, on the grass. Is there something that I don't know about Giardia that makes it so tough and, and uh, makes it come back like that, like chronic Giardia? Right. There's got to be a source there. And usually it's where there's some damp soil or pools of water. Okay. Uh, it may not be true in your yard. And do you have raccoons and possums there? Uh, you know, I've not seen a raccoon or a possum. You know, we've got some woods by the house. Right. I would think that wildlife could be a source, uh, and some some city water uh, sources have uh, been tested with uh, periodic giardia as well. Uh, okay. I would say that is the dog having normal normal stools now, normal bowel movement. Yeah, she's doing okay right now, right. Um, but it, it was you know she's 13 years old, and this we just moved out to Glugstad about two years ago. Um, from Flowood, so this has been the first real time in in, um, in about thirteen years that, like, wow, Giardia, like, right, and textbook, uh, and now you're you're in my life. I understand, and metronidazole certainly is a good drug. You may have to keep her on it for quite a while. Uh, yeah. I think it's safe uh, to to use. I would also suggest maybe a, when she's having an issue, one of the um, basic. Uh, supplements that would have uh, good bacteria, probiotic. The probiotic, yes, our vet also put her on the probiotic. I think that's important because uh, sometimes we kill off the good good bacteria trying to get to the giardia. Anyway, good luck with that, and uh, I hope it doesn't recur. Maybe the cool weather will help uh, subside the chance of that. That's great. Thank you so much. Thanks for your call, Chris. Um, For those of us that don't know, what is giardia? Okay. It's, uh, have you ever heard of Montezuma's Revenge? Okay. Uh, that's, it, it causes... Uh, it's, it's a gastric problem for dogs. Is that a yes, sort of a generalized way of saying it? And people. Yeah. And people. Okay. That's, that's right. the best way to put it. And it's fairly highly communicable, and that there is some public health uh, aspects of that. And uh, it would be one of the things that uh, certainly needs to be treated uh, there are tests for that if your animal is having diarrhea. Uh, and it, as I said, it usually seems to recur in an area. A lot of times, I'm, my thoughts are wildlife may be an issue. Uh, we seem to see it uh, in puppies especially. And this is an older dog that uh, she said 13 years, I believe. 
I don't know if she has any immune issues. There may be some uh, resistance in some animals. Others may not have a lot of resistance, but uh, it is treatable. And uh, I, I would say that uh, that old thing of Montezuma's revenge is true. Uh, in certain areas that you go, it's best not to drink the water. Uh, anyway, enough said about that. All right. It's a protozoan, isn't it? Yes, yes, it yeah. is. I'm sorry, I, I didn't answer the question exactly. It's a protozoa, and uh, it it's it can cause a lot of problems. And uh, we see it in, I see it more in young dogs than I do in older dogs, for what that's worth. But we do see a fair amount of it. Uh, and because of the fact we had a wet summer, I think that it's contributed to that. The soil has been wet in areas, and it seems to thrive or survive in those areas. We uh, need to take another break. When we get back, we've got Susan on the line from Memphis. Susan, we'll get to your call, and we'll continue our discussion with our friend, biologist Joe McGee. We'll talk about some waterfowl you might see this time of year, some cavity nesters, and also we'll talk about uh, some ways uh, that you can improve your bird-watching outings. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you'd like to join the conversation with a phone call, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll have more after the break, so stay tuned. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, Go to mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is our friend and biologist, Joe McGee. So we're going to be talking about uh, fall birds that you'll see in Mississippi. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. Uh, join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 And if you ever miss part of Creature Comforts and want to go back and listen to it, you can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone, and then you get to listen to all the MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. As promised, we're going to go to Susan, who's called in from Memphis today. Good morning, Susan. You're on the air with us. Uh, thank you. Um, I have a dead pine tree in our yard, and uh, when the winds blow, you know, the top part where there's still needles really whip around, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just take out a portion of the pine tree and leave the rest of it as a snag for woodpeckers. And my question is, um, how tall should the snag be? As tall as is safe, is there a possibility the tree could blow down on your house? Or, well, it's near a garden shed. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I don't. I don't know that it would blow that way, but um, that's that's. But the, I know with all the branches at the top, uh, it whips around a lot when there's storms. So I want to take at least the part that has all the branches on it. Yeah. Well, if you're not too concerned about the garden shed, the taller it is, the better, actually. Some of the woodpeckers like to be up really, really high. Uh, that's a good idea that you've got uh, to to bring in the woodpeckers. The red-bellied woodpeckers will use it. Possibly even, it depends on how woodsy it is around where you live, you could even get the pileated woodpecker, possibly. Uh, although they like to feed on uh, carpenter ants. Even when the tree falls down, the pileated woodpecker will use it. 
Uh, it's, but it's, it's really up to you as tall as you uh, would like it to be. Just keep in mind that it, the tree will eventually fall down in a storm when it rots enough. A rotten yeah, tree is good for the birds. That's that, no doubt about it. Uh, but eventually that tree will fall in. Probably it'll fall in pieces. I've had this. I've had experience with dead trees falling. Uh, and it will f- come down in pieces probably unless you take the top out. Does that make okay, sense? Thank you. Did I answer your question? Yes, it did. Thank you. Yes. All right. Thanks for the call, Susan. Hey, we've got some open phone lines on Creature Comforts if you want to join our conversation. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Now, I saw a group of some of my favorite birds, and I'm not really sure why I like them, but and uh, buzzards, I guess. I don't know if that's the, the right mm-hmm. word, but uh, there was a whole big group of them on the side of the road there. And to me, they just, they're just such interesting looking. They're very big birds, and they're, you know, they're kind of I don't know, not scary is not the right word, but uh, I always love to see yeah. a group of them. And they do an important task, I guess, cl- you know, cleaning up the, the dead stuff that we see on the side of the road. So, Joe, are they? do they live here year-round? They do. We have two species of, they're actually called vultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to call them buzzards, that's okay. Uh, we have the turkey vulture, <laughs> which has a red head as an adult, and then the black vultures, which have a black head when they're adults. What you saw sounds like bl- the black vultures, maybe. Yeah. Was there a, a dead animal, something dead on the road or on the side of the road? Or? Well, I, I didn't see anything. But, but like I said, there was a large group of them, so maybe they, they had just finished and you know were planning the rest of their day. <laughs> yeah, right. Digestive things. You tend to see them in flight, uh, say, from mid-morning on because uh, they take uh, advantage of the thermals as they as the soil, as the ground heats up, it warms up the air and the air rises, of course, and the, the uh, vultures like to use that. Uh, I haven't, uh, from time to time, I have an experience with vultures. It starts early in the morning. I hear car horns blowing. I live near a busy road. And I always know this means that there's a dead armadillo or a dead possum, a dead raccoon, something dead in the road. And I try to move it because if I leave it there, eventually I'll have a dead vulture. One time, a turkey vulture was hit by a car. I removed it. It, I, it wasn't killed. And I made arrangements to get it to a rehabilitator, but before they could come pick it up, the bird died. So hmm. uh, I do try to remove the carcasses from the road. Uh, Although I've noticed they're pretty good at kind of jumping out of the way if they see they, something coming. They are. If, if, uh, the very vehicles, smart. If yeah. the vehicles are not very going smart. too fast. Yeah. And they will even drag smaller items off the road. The black vultures especially will drag uh, a, you know, a small uh, possum, say, yeah. off the road. Joe, I think you know the rehabilitators there in the Hattiesburg area. I can't say the name of uh, that I, no, I right don't. now, but they've got a wonderful um, vulture that's an education animal. It, it was injured, and I don't think it can fly very well at all. So they use it in school groups, but very smart, and it's it's it'll look you in the eye and just really <laughs> look into your eyes. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, they're one of our per- permanent residents. Sometimes so. you'll see a group of vultures that uh, really uh, there's no dead animal around. They'll just be like they're having a little little meeting, <laughs> a little convocation, <laughs> planning their day. Joe, you know what a group of vultures oh, yeah. is called, right? We've been through that before. Uh, we call I, it awake. <laughs> I should know, but I've, awake is a good <laughs> yeah. one. Of the I good don't know there. what the accepted term is. Is uh, it wake? Yeah, awake of vulture. Okay. <laughs> I'd, I'd forgotten. If I knew, I forgot. I know I should, a, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have asked you. Oh, okay. should, but, yeah. uh, no, no, that's okay. A group of crows is called a murder, I believe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a murder of crows as I left this morning. 
Um, so, Joe, what about some cavity nesting birds that we might see here uh, this time of year? One that we that I mentioned earlier that we don't have except in fall, winter, and early spring is the yellow-bellied sapsucker, a woodpecker. Uh, it is a cavity nester, but they don't nest in Mississippi. Probably our most reliable, uh, uh, easily seen cavity nester and makes its own cavity is the red-bellied woodpecker. It's one of those birds that you can hear in soundtracks sometimes to a movie. If the movie is truly filmed on location in Mississippi or somewhere in the south, almost inevitably they will pick up the sound of a, if you if you know the sound of the of the red-bellied woodpecker, you, you can hear that in soundtracks to movies. Uh, when I uh, sit, watch a movie, I often listen for the for the natural sounds to, to see if they really filmed it on, on location. Let's see what. And then, of course, that's a primary cavity nester, a woodpecker. Once they get through nesting, there's a there's some good real estate for other birds. Uh, and our probably our favorite cavity nester in the entire state is the eastern bluebird. They will use old woodpecker holes, or of course, a nest box, which will substitute for the. Uh, for the uh, cavity that the woodpecker made. Uh, we've got another caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Shirley in Starkville. Shirley, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. I just had a word of caution for the vultures. So I was driving to Jackson on Highway 25, and uh, there was a cluster uh, of vultures uh, surrounding uh some kind of roadkill. And so I thought, okay, as I approach, they're all going to fly away. Well, <laughs> most of them did. Uh, I thought they had all flown away until I arrived and got out of my vehicle. Unfortunately, one was in my grill. Oh, gosh. Oh, goodness. Oh, I felt so bad. <laughs> Um, I, you know, it looked as though they had all flown away. And, um, so anyway, that's, that's one of the, um, drawbacks, I guess, when they, you know, cluster around something that's in the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't the want second. to give it up, do they, Shirley? Yeah, they don't <laughs> no. want to, yeah. That, that's the reason. Yeah. yeah, that's the reason uh, I try to remove them from the road. The other, the other story is a little bit nicer. Okay. Um, I had called earlier at one of your earlier programs about uh, the hummingbirds and whether or not they were going to come. Well, it turns out I just needed to have been a little more patient uh, because they did, and uh, I have three feeders. But they seemed to like one particular feeder, and I was just wondering if anybody else had that experience who uh, has more than one feeder. I don't know if I mixed the nectar differently in that one or not, but um, even though there were three feeders, the others would, you know, sort of stay, and uh, they would come to this one feeder. You know, I've noticed that sometimes, Shirley. Yeah, I'll have two or three out at a time, and um, one of them seems to be empty quicker than the others, and I don't know why. I've speculated that it might be the way the sun shines on it. Sometimes they're probably avoiding the heat of the sun, and sometimes they may want that sun. It could be the the location. Try switching the feeders. Try putting one of the ones that Mm -hmm. don't visit as much in the place where— and see what happens. Of course, you're not seeing many hummingbirds now, are you? 
No, not now. Yeah, they've for the most early. part they've left. Yeah, uh, you st- yeah. might get a straggler between now and the end of the month. One of our listeners stopped me in the grocery store this week <laughs> with a video. He had saved a hummingbird that was inside a building, and I've seen mm. more than once when they get inside it doesn't go well because they're so nervous yeah. about it. But this guy was able to catch it quickly and release it outside, and he had a little video of wow. of doing that. It was great to see. So then that one, it was this week that it had happened, he said, so that um, there are a few around still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, uh, Shirley, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you this morning. Let's uh, move on. Another caller from Starkville. It's William's on the line. Good morning, William. Go ahead. Uh, is that me? That's you. You're on the air. Go ahead. I gave a different name. That's okay. No problem. Uh, speaking of vultures, I, I just want to tell you some stories about vultures that, that few people know. Uh, Dr. August Raspit was a world-renowned uh, aerophysicist, uh, aerodynamicist here at Mississippi State University in the 1950s, 60s. And he, he was studying low-speed aerodynamics when everybody, the rest of the world was looking at supersonics. Uh, and he trying to find out how tried to find out how vultures can find uh, uh, recognize uh, the thermals without clouds at least if there's a cloud above it you know where the thermal is to to figure out how they they uh, uh, cultivate the thermals to to get high altitude and they're they're uh, co- flying and coasting at altitude but anyway he had a pet vulture. And uh, in 1958, I think it died in the summer of 1958 when, un- unfortunately, it uh, choked on a, on a chicken bone. But he had a seminar one time with a researcher from, from Vanderbilt who came down and spoke to us. And he had three or four, he called them, he virtually called them pet vultures because he said that they were just like uh, puppies in the woods. He said that he'd go walking in the woods. And the vultures would come along and, and hop in the air and glide down the path and sit and wait for them to catch up and eat out of their hand. And uh, I think somebody mentioned uh, their intelligence. Apparently, they're reasonably intelligent, although a lot more of them are uh, get killed on the road than you'd think an intelligent bird would. <laughs> but anyway, I thought uh, somebody might be interested in knowing about this uh, this aspect of vultures that that we don't uh, uh, learn of very often. Thank you. Thank right. you, William. Thanks, William, you know, for your call. That is interesting with any bird, how they find the thermals, and that, that had never occurred to me, but I'm I don't not, know if you just fly around until you find one and then enjoy it. That's what that's, I have assumed, yeah. that they uh, just explore. And probably the thermals occur more or less in the same location day after day for a while, I'm assuming. Uh, but speaking of vulture intelligence and the mm-hmm. fact that they get killed, you know, on the, some of them do get killed on the road, they become preoccupied with the food, I believe, and they just mm-hmm. don't see the, the car coming or the truck coming. Well, I know many humans that get preoccupied with their food when they're eating. That's too, so. exactly right. That's exactly right. Don't have your lunch in the middle of the road. Yeah. No. All right. Uh, time for one last break this hour. When we get back, we've got Dudley and Becky on the line waiting for their turns to join the conversation. We have some open phone lines, so you can join in as well. Our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can always email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap up the show after this, so stay tuned. And- 
Welcome back. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest throughout the hour has been our friend biologist, Joe McGee, and we've been talking a lot about the types of birds, the fall birds that you see in Mississippi as well uh, this time of year, and Dr. Major has taken some pet questions. Back to the phone lines we go. Dudley's on the line from Calhoun County. Thanks for calling in, Dudley. You're on the air with us. Thank you. Really enjoy the show. I have been having turkeys stroll through the yard uh, this week. Uh, there are three tom turkeys that stroll through every day, and I find that really interesting and also very beautiful, too. That's great. Is, is that unusual that turkeys yeah. would be out this time of the year? I think this is a time to stay. They're starting yeah. to see them, and I have seen turkeys at our place it's, it's not that unusual, except it's unusual for them to be in your yard. They're very wary birds. Things must be pretty peaceful around your place, and they don't feel threatened. But they are really a, a wary species. Oh, I can't tell you what. Uh, there have been a, as many as 13 or 14 turkeys at one time wow. that, stroke, that just kind of pick around in the yard. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, this is on you. Well, the main reason, too, is that I had to put my black Labrador down. He was 13 years old, and he kept the turkeys away. And after he, he's gone, I have really been inundated with turkeys, and I love it. That's uh, great. I also love your yeah. show so much. And, Dudley, I, I just told everybody before um, during the break, I owed you a email your, the frog on your oh. window, the way it was silhouetted, we can tell that it's definitely a tree frog, but we weren't sure what kind of tree frog. But that was a tree frog that you sent a picture of that was silhouetted on your glass door. I was going to ask you about that. I am not very, I'm not too good with uh, with uh, with electronic things, and I had such a difficult time. Finally, I. I'm so happy you got it. Yes. Thank you so much for yes. taking on this morning and enjoy your show so much. All right. Thanks, Dudley. Always good to hear from you. Uh, let's move on. We'll continue next. We've got uh, Becky called in from Fulton today. Good morning, Becky. Good morning. How are you? We're doing good. What do you have for us? I've got a question that it doesn't have to do with vultures. Um, I want to know, are there, uh, I was just wondering about the falcons. In, in Mississippi, um, because I saw a, a some sort of bird yesterday. I don't. I don't think it wasn't a red-tailed hawk, but but I was just wondering, you know, if there are any falcons that are native to Mississippi. Because um, I mean, I was just wondering about you know that type of bird because y- you don't ever hear, hear people talk about that. Yes, there are some falcons native to Mississippi. Uh, in fact, the smallest falcon in North America is the American kestrel, uh, and it's found all over the state, especially in the wintertime. Uh, well, in the winter, fall, winter, early spring. Yeah. It, th- a few of them do breed in the state, but you, I don't think they breed in your area. So are you familiar with the American kestrel? It, I'm not, but I, uh, I need to look in my it, bird book, I right, guess. Right, <laughs> or you could go online. It perches on uh, utility lines and wags its tail. That, mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a falcon. That's one that you could see. There's mm-hmm. another one that migrates through Mississippi this time of year and then winters on the coast, and that's the peregrine falcon. Now, a few years ago, it was highly, it was one of the most in, endangered birds 
in North America, but there, I believe it's been removed from the endangered species list with a lot of hard work. Uh, peregrine falcons are more common now, but they're not, they're not commonly seen. But you could have seen a peregrine falcon. Well, the, the, I had never seen a bird like this, uh, and I just wondered what it was. Did you see so, it in flight? Yes. Yes, I did. Can you describe the wings of, of what of what you saw? The wing? uh, it, They were, it was kind of brown on the on the part of the, that was closer to the, you know, where the, the bone. And then it, it tapered to white. Um, on the wings, and it wasn't a it wasn't a big bird. It was it's fairly. I mean, for a yeah. For what about the shape of the wings? Do you remember? Did, did that make an impression on you? Falcons have tapered wings. They they taper to a point almost. Very adapted for speed. They fly. They can fly really fast when they want to. Uh, and that's what I was hoping I would hear you say that it had these uh, point. You know, sharply pointed wings. That often appear swept back when the bird is flying. Did the bird fly very? F- well, that's not a good question to ask. I guess mm-hmm. I was going to say, did it seem to fly very fast? Well, it, I think maybe it must have been a hawk because, from what you're saying, the the bird the, the wings were different from that. Mm-hmm. So, okay. It, I'm sorry. I, I just I was just curious about the the falcon oh, because that's you know, a, yeah, that's a good question because uh, you could potentially see a peregrine falcon this time of year. And this is a good time of year to start looking for any kind of hawks mm-hmm. because, for one thing, as as the trees lose their leaves, it's easier to see those perching birds in trees. And, and our red-tailed hawk population increases many times in the winter when uh, birds from the north spend the winter. Along, you'll see them hunting yeah. along roadsides. They've learned that that's easy picking where the roadsides <laughs> are kept clean and uh, they can see rodents running across. Right. This one, I'm sorry. I hope I'm not interrupting. But I know it wasn't a red-tailed hawk. I mean, I just it. But I don't. I just had never seen this particular bird before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We have several smaller hawks. You might look up a Cooper's hawk. Could have been a Cooper's hawk. Could have been a sharp shin hawk. Their numbers increased tremendously. Well, we don't even have sharp shin hawks in the summertime anymore. It could have been a sharp shin hawk. Could have been a red-tailed hawk. I'm sorry, a red-shouldered hawk. Uh, You you said you felt. Yeah, like it's, it, it's a fairly big bird, but not as big as a red tail. Yeah. Well, it, maybe it was a maybe it was a juvenile red tail. I don't know. Well, um, actually, they're as big when they leave the nest to fly. They're as big as they're ever going to be. They don't once uh, once a bird starts flying, that's pretty much as big as they're going to be. In fact, right. sometimes they're the, they're at their maximum high, weight if they've had real good parents feeding them. So they don't grow bigger as they get older once they have left the nest. All right, uh, Becky, we appreciate your call. Let's work in with the, the final minute of the show. James has called in from Lafayette County. James, go ahead, please. Yeah, I've got a bird bath out back here, and for the first time, I've had woodpeckers come to the water dish during this recent drought. I've had a pair of red bellies and even a red-headed woodpecker, first one I've seen out here, and I've been out here about eight years. I've got this third woodpecker that's been coming he has a black back, no white on him, no red on him or her, and I have no idea what this woodpecker could be. Is the head, wh- describe the head if you could. The, uh, dark. I think it's a first year, young of the year, red-headed woodpecker. Huh. 
possibly. If it's head, it's rounded head, not a not a cap on it, not a pointed. Yeah, head. It, it's it's not a pileated woodpecker, is it? That's, oh no, oh no. That's the size of a crow. Yeah. I mean, oh, I know, I know, yeah. pileated. Yeah. Uh, James, we're pressed for time. If you don't, if you can take a picture of it with a smartphone or something, if you would send it to animals at mpbonline.org, we'll see if we can't help you identify that. We are out of time for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Joe McGee, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.